everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid co-host, Courtney Kay. Courtney! <laughs> I love when you say Courtney! <laughs> it's another Tuesday that feels like a Monday. No, man. Oh, my fabulous Ugh. Fallon. <sighs> oh, it's uh, Publishing Tuesday. We have new books today. We do. Good ones. Sex, Lies, and Sensibility by Nikki Payne yeah. is the first one on my mind. I know yep. I'm forgetting. I, I have always a copy of it sitting on my TBR cart, and I'm just like, mm, so pretty. So oh, pretty. <laughs> so exciting. Yes. So good. February is like a packed month of romance. Like, there oh, yeah. are so many books this month. And I have been really good so far this year because I told myself at the beginning of 2024 I am only allowed to buy one book for every 10 physical books I read for my TBR because oh, damn. I have that many and I'm that far behind. Now, <clears throat> I've only bought two books so far <laughs> this whole year, which is like honestly very impressive. Yeah, no it is. But between the arcs that we get for the podcast. And then I got a bunch of finished copies for uh, authors from Love Y'all Fest. And Ooh, that's I, cool. Which is amazing. And like, please send me all the books. Like I, that it's the highlight of my day when I open wait, the door and there's a book there. Wait, is that something that the festival's doing? No. So they sent us um, an email with like all of the, people that we're going to be on panels with oh. and then a bunch of the publicists of those authors just reached out and were like do you want to finish copy of this book and I was like yes obviously <laughs> like oh please my send God. me all of them um yeah so it's like people that I'm on panels with at love y'all fest which is like that's, amazing that's so cool excited. yeah so excited um and so even though also then I get book of the month and I am in one book box. So, so even with me being Those very good count. and only buying two books so far this year, I'm still like overflowing. You've amassed like 25 books. I'm making no progress on whittling down the TPR cart. But Do digital fine. books count? I don't because I'm like, to me, digital books, like they're not taking up space in my office. Mm -hmm. Like my TBR cart, like, is not like figuratively overflowing. Like it's literally, I have nowhere else to put books that I haven't read yet. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones that I'm like, those are the priority to clear out. But I am pretty good about staying on top of like my NetGalley reads. Like I make sure to read the books, like the month that they're coming out at the latest. So. Wow. You're amazing. I read a lot. So you really do. I think I do. my net galley rating is like negative 500. <laughs> oh, mine's like 90%. I am like a fucking all star on net galley. And yeah, you're like A plus. Because of that, I get approved for almost everything that I request. So sometimes I need to have better self control when it comes to requesting books on net galley because I'm <laughs> like, well, a request is just a request. And then all of a sudden I've got like five new books and I'm like, shit. <laughs> 
but it's fine. It's fine. I'm going to be on a plane this weekend. So I was like, I can knock out a lot of my eBooks. Oh my God. You're amazing. You're amazing. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Well, you did something very exciting this weekend and that you watched one of my favorite movies from 2023. Oh my God. The Marvels was so good. So good. I'm obsessed with that movie. I was, I am too. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> Probably did. It, oh, I texted you when all the little flurkin kittens were running around mm-hmm. and overhead, they're like, <laughs> remain calm and let the flurkin eat you. And it's like, <laughs> memory, <laughs> all the alone in the moon. <laughs> it was so fucking funny. I was dying. I mean, like, seriously, to have that song playing what during that scene, it was just like such genius. Yeah, like I can't, I can't. It was inspired. I was like, yeah. you, it could not have been any other song. Nothing would have made it this funny. It was fucking amazing. And then they land, and the cat. I'm like, wait, this is actually like, I fully buy this because that's what an alien cat would absolutely do. Obviously. I mean, (laughs) and like, thing is genius. It's genius. The leads were amazing. The villain was amazing. They were all stunning. I'm like, uh, it's definitely going to be one of my comfort watches for sure. The uh, Tessa Thompson cameo in oh. that movie is so good i was like mm, i need to rewind this at least 25 times tessa thompson in a suit oh did you ever see the men in black that she did with chris hemsworth that is one i did not see and need okay. to immediately need to. it's not like a great movie but it's her and chris in the like men in black suits and just like you don't you don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah. You're like, who cares about a movie? <laughs> I'm like, story? <laughs> don't need her. Like <laughs> all I care about. Um, Men in black. It just stands for make it bisexual. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we can we okay. That's like we need to put that on a sticker. Like M I B make it bisexual. <laughs> back back in black, baby. Um Oh my god, that's amazing. Oh my god, she no, she showed up in the Marvels and I was like, oh my god, like I almost died. I texted you. Yeah, you did. Uh, and that was fair. And I was like, like uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Valkyrie in a suit. <laughs> hey, hey. I almost told you that before you started watching like after you watched Ragnarok that I was like no I don't want to ruin the surprise oh my god you're amazing so you just <laughs> you were you've been waiting for that text <laughs> I know I knew it was coming at some point um but also like aside from everyone in the movie being hot except the teenager because we won't be creepers oh, yeah um, inappropriate but she's amazing wow she's, she's so, so fantastic and like I so earnest her. oh yeah. her performance and her family I'm obsessed with her mom. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. 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 Um, the fight choreography 
in this movie is so good. And like, especially the first uh, time when they're all like, sort of like jumping back and forth, just, it's like so brilliant and so well done. And I hate fanboys for never giving these movies the chance that they deserve because they're Mm. so good. I I heard it. Yeah, I heard it got bad reviews. And I was like, why? This is fantastic. I couldn't help watching those fight scenes where they constantly switch off. Mm -hmm. All I could think was what a nightmare this must have been to write. Yes. (laughs) And to stage and to do the choreography and to figure out how to film it and edit it. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, like somebody cried multiple times, probably many <laughs> yes. people, and it was worth it. It was worth it. I think part of, um, I don't know how much I, this sh- I should say. So I know somebody who knows somebody who works for Marvel and does Is like it Jeremy? a bunch. <laughs> no, not my good friend, Jeremy. Um she does a bunch of like the like marketing and promo stuff. And because the Marvels originally came out during the strike, um, that meant that none of the actors were allowed to promote the movie, oh. which probably had a lot to do with like, yeah, some of the box office stuff. But she was saying that like for the premiere of the movie, like the only like actor she could interview was Goose the Cat. Because Goose isn't in the union. (laughs) They were doing like interviews and promo with the cat because they couldn't with the actors. I know that the I know that I know that our recording studio is gonna I know. It's just like silent. But I literally was screaming and kicking my feet right now. I'm just imagining some like poor like reporter trying to interview a cat because it's the only person they could talk to. So Goose, how do you feel about the movie? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Judgy stare. <laughs> oh my god. I it's it's just Goose amazing. The cat. Goose the cat. I love it. Ugh, so good. I also thought of you, okay, so I finished <laughs> season three of the mandalorian it was fantastic i've watched the first two episodes of ahsoka matt came in last night as i was watching it and he's like what is this i'm like it's ahsoka but it should just be called hot girls fighting with lightsabers and he was like okay like the literally courtney that's all the show is for the first two episodes and there is one character in particular who I just was like, oh my god, Courtney needs to see this because they show, <laughs> they show her like driving off to her little tower that's like separate from the rest of the town where she just like lives by herself and doesn't talk to anyone. And then she basically has like a space cat. <laughs> like, and it's just her and her space cat like yeah. hanging out in her apartment. I was like, I feel so seen. <laughs> Oh, okay. This is the Star Wars branch I'll be most invested in. Uh-huh. Yeah. And literally, I'm like, uh, the villains are hot girls. The good guys are hot girls. Like, the aliens are hot girls. <laughs> like, oh, it's so it's the Marvels, but a TV show. Yes, it's like, so good. Oh, my God. And 
I'm sorry to go back to Marvels because I love this journey for you with Osaka. Did you say it right? Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Um, wait, what was I going to say? Shit. Oh, oh, the marriage of convenience musical mm. planets. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Another brilliant cameo. I don't know who he is. I just know that he is in, I think he's in BTS. Yeah. The husband. Yeah. Um, and I was like, just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And oh my God, he's gorgeous. Stop it. <laughs> oh, so good. Um he's bilingual. <laughs> just talks. Oh, he can just talk. Yeah, he's bilingual. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, it's so good. I know. So good. Um I can't. I can't get enough. I need to go rewatch the Marvels. Me too. <laughs> Ugh, amazing. And All I right. need to watch Ahsoka. Yes, please do. It should literally just be like Ahsoka colon hot girls fighting with lightsabers. <laughs> what? <laughs> that, that's, what more marketing do you need? I, I yeah. That's also, all. cat. <laughs> also, space cat. Space cat. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we do have an amazing episode today, but also before we get to that, an exciting announcement that we have finally officially launched our Patreon. Um, so you can find details to that. We'll put a link up in uh, our Instagram bio. Uh, but yeah, it's super fun. We have a fun Discord that's already up and running with some of your favorite Happy to Meet Cute guests. Um, and so you can join that. You'll get behind the scenes content. You'll get the chance to ask questions of our guest authors. We have lots of giveaways planned with all of those books that get sent to our house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We have so much swag to give away. And then also you'll get discount on discounts on our in-person events, which we have a couple of those in the works. Um, So yeah, it's just really fun. So you can check it out and Come join us if you so choose. Yay. Tell us what you think about uh, Space Cat. <laughs> yes. We can have all kinds of hot girls with lightsabers conversations too. I need to start yeah. a Star Wars channel. I don't think I did one of those yet. Oh, yeah. We need to have that. Necessary. Necessary. Um, And we have Edward Underhill on the podcast today. We had such a delightful conversation. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Star Wars, we did chat about Pedro Pascal because, of course, we did. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Uh, Along with Edward's incredible book, This Day Changes Everything. Uh, So we will be right back with Edward Underhill. Team Edward. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. We are so excited to have our guest here with us today, who is one of our faves and one of our fellow Southern Californians. We always love that. Um, So we are super excited to welcome Edward Underhill to the podcast today. Edward is a queer trans man who grew up in the suburbs of Wisconsin, where he could not walk to anything, which meant he had to make up his own adventures. He began writing very bad stories as a kid and wrote his first also very bad novel in his teens. His debut novel, Always the Almost, earned a starred review from Publishers Weekly and was an indie next pick and a YLSA Best Fiction for Young Adults nominee. 
His next novel, This Day Changes Everything, releases February 13th, 2024, which means as you are listening to this, it is available now. He currently lives in California with his partner and a talkative black cat, where by day he writes music and by night he writes stories, which aren't as bad as they used to be. Edward, welcome. Thank you for having me. We are so excited, um, and I, I very much identify with that feeling of looking back on your old stories and just being like, oh, oh my yeah. god, these are so terrible. <laughs> I have to tell you that I was at a conference recently, at a librarian conference, and they seem to have like not quite gotten my whole bio, so they just got the parts about how I wrote very bad stories. <laughs> when I was younger and then they didn't say the like my stories aren't as bad as they used to be so I like got to the first question I was supposed to answer and I was like I'm sorry I do just have to say that like I think I got better oh my god that's amazing I hope anyway but yeah they didn't reach the full circle moment or I guess not I was like did the printer like did the printer like not like skip the last line or like what happened but like you left out the punchline that's sort of the point you know (laughs) It just looks really sad without it. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's amazing. I feel like I would put that in my bio and just be like, "Look, I'm going to set you up with like really low expectations <laughs> across the board, <laughs> and then maybe you'll be like, "Wow, that book wasn't as bad as she told me it was going to be." <laughs> I mean, you know, if it works, it works. <laughs> Oh, a kind of like, you know, remember the Lemony Snicket bio? I'll never forget reading it as a kid. Like, it was just so negative. What if my bio was just like, Courtney writes terrible books. You should not read them. <laughs> that might be Sounds like a good marketing. Then. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm like totally defiant enough to be like, well, <laughs> screw you. I'm going to read this book. Anyway, I'm going to read this book so hard. <laughs> I mean, reverse psychology God. works. I feel like that has been proven. So, yeah. you know, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know that that goes with your personality court. <laughs> you don't know me, Fallon, at all. You'd at least need to combine it with a headshot of you glowering, if nothing else. Because otherwise, it's just like, really? I th- There feels like a small disconnect here. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Just Courtney, like, glaring into the camera. I actually, I need to see that. And I want that. Y'all are cracking me up. (laughs) Edward, how are you doing? So you are just, like, a handful of weeks away here from your second. Yeah. At this moment, I am am literally three weeks away, I think, which is wild. I think there's, there's something particularly bizarre about, like, doing this the second time around. So I think before my debut book came out, I was like fully losing my mind at this point and like, you know, trying to do all these things and like, you know, pretty much like I didn't have anything to do. Well, not that's not true. I had like work and stuff, but I didn't have any (laughs) other space in my brain for anything except thinking about my book coming out and it felt like just such a big deal. And the second time around, it's been this weird thing of I have other books I'm on deadline for, which is great. Um, And I do still care about this book. I care about this book a whole lot. In some ways, I think I love it even more than my debut book. But just the process of having like gone through this once already and having so many other things on my brain, I just like 
keep being like, oh my God, wait, I'm three weeks out. Oh, I should probably do something. I should like post on Instagram or like, you know, just, just like doesn't feel real in a sort of different way because I think the anticipation just like, oh yeah, I've already done all of this. So it sounds weird. I feel like people keep asking me, oh, are you so excited? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very strange place to be. That's valid. I yeah. feel like that happened to me a lot too. With the first book, it's like you're so laser focused on every single step because it's your first time doing every single step. Like, you know, releasing all the blurbs on your social media or, you know, and then yeah. second time around, um, it feels almost like another step in your career. Because right. your it's, career it's not is the first one. Yeah. 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 And the first one always feels like the biggest one. And I think too, there's like, there's so much focus on debut groups and like other sort of other debut authors that you're going through the experience with that, um, that just like that adds to the whole experience of it feeling very new. And then by the time you get to the second one, you're just kind of like, this is sort of part of my job now. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And also really, really different to be thinking of it at that mm -hmm. way at that point. Yeah. It's so interesting too. Like, I mean, obviously the debut groups are fantastic and they serve a really good purpose. And I think they allow you to make a lot of good connections, but it's almost like there should be a group specifically for your second book because it oh, yeah. is like such a different experience um, yeah it, it's wild yeah it's been funny to see people in my debut group start hitting the like not just releasing the second book but writing the second book and how universally hard that is for everybody <laughs> um I think I feel like I I think one thing that I feel really good about um, the way that I handled sort of the debut experience was that I found the sort of larger debut group completely overwhelming. And there were just yeah. there are so many people who publish their first books in any given year. Um, but I managed to find some really good friends out of it. And um where we're sort of all approaching our career in relatively similar ways, like not necessarily that we're writing the same types of books, but that we sort of think about the industry and the larger picture in a similar way. And that sort of has been my support group a little bit because we're all like, we're not like we're, we're releasing our books in slightly different enough times that we're never quite screaming about the same things to each other at the same time. <laughs> But then it's like, it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of texting and freakouts mm -hmm. at different times over different things. And also just like someone else to be like, yeah, this is really weird. It's really weird to do this thing that is basically just as big as it was the first time around, but is also a little bit more normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I found that too with the debut group. And I think too, especially, I don't know when your first one came out, but I my first book came out in early February. And I think especially for those of us that were like in it from early on, and then it's just sort of expands and grows as more people are added throughout the year. And like, by the time I got to even like, right up to my actual debut date, I was like, this is too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't handle yeah. it. I need a a little breakout group, um, and those breakout groups were essential. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. I I really love like the space of the day 
you group to be able to connect with people who are going through what you're also going through. Um, I don't know how else to say this. <laughs> because I I was also very over... I get very overwhelmed by big group chats anyway. Um, but it's also good to have people who are ahead of you um, yeah. to mentor you through. Because sometimes the, the debut group can be very like a panicked space because yeah it just turns into one big freak out echo chamber like I think one of the things that I felt very lucky about was both that um one of my friends was a 2022 debut and that my agent has been very hands-on with like yeah she knows how debut groups work she knows how that slack works and so she's been like what are they talking about? What are you freaking out about? Like, let's talk about what matters and what doesn't. And there, it is yeah. really easy for everyone because everyone is just like looking for some kind of answer to a thing that they're never going to be able to find an answer about, yes. which is how is yes. my book going to do? And the, like the huge levels of uncertainty in publishing are just something that like you have to figure out a way to be okay with. Um, yeah. And so I think like, that's like the focus on what is my Goodreads rating and how many people have added it and like all that sort of stuff. It only sort of matters, (laughs) but like that's when that's the only metric you have, people just get like really focused on it and really, and then just panic to each other about it. And it kind of becomes one spiraling like pool of anxiety. Yeah, it does. Like I struggled so badly with ratings and reviews and ads like worrying about that like obsessively worrying about it until my book finally published and I had actual numbers to check and then it was like oh okay like yeah after publication staying off goodreads gets so much easier it's kind of great it really does because goodreads is a trash fire for your mental health yes Um, I think it was especially weird writing YA too because I really like I could sort of tell myself this but it took me a while to like really absorb it that Goodreads is not where most of my audience is most of my audience isn't going to be engaging with any of these metrics I'm going to see online Mm -hmm. they're going to be I mean a lot of them are going to be in libraries picking up the book Um, Mm -hmm. and then otherwise like a lot of them just aren't going to know about it until it's on the shelf in stores because of the ways that teens do or don't engage with the internet Um, So it's that like, that's been particularly weird to feel like I want, I want to like see things about how it's doing. And the answer is a lot of times that I just can't know. I mean, in some ways, like no author can know that. But I think when you write for young people, you really can't know that (laughs) because the young people are just in wildly different spaces than all the adults are. Um, And they are finding the book, but you're not seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just waiting till you get numbers and it like so much of publishing is literally just having to sit and wait and accept the fact that it's out of your control. And it's yep. one of the hardest things to just accept. Yep. But <laughs> yeah. what can you do? I mean, keep writing is basically yeah. what I do. Keep I just writing. like try to find a new thing to keep writing. That's like the yeah. one thing I can control. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, let's talk about your amazing new book that as of this podcast publishing is out so you all can go buy it um so can you tell us a little bit about this day changes everything sure so this day changes everything is a contemporary queer ya rom-com 
Um, it is about a grumpy trans boy named Leo and a sunshine queer girl named Abby. Um, and they are both uh, in marching band. They're in two separate marching bands. And oh. so they both um, end up in New York City to march in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And the day before the parade, uh, they each go out with their separate bands um, to sightsee around the city. And they both accidentally get lost from their bands by getting on the wrong subway train together. Um, and this sort of like starts them off on a whirlwind adventure through New York City um, to try and find their way back to their bands before the parade. And they maybe fall in love with each other along the way. So it's sort of like, um, I've been kind of pitching it as like Ferris Bueller meets Dash and Lily, but trans and queer. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, were you in band? in the high school i was not in band i was in so if you've if you've read my first book always the almost that that focuses on classical music and that is much more of my background i was a cellist i still am a cellist um so that would have worked out very poorly for marching band as you cannot march and play the cello at the same time um, why not <laughs> i mean i really just clearly should have tried and like put it on wheels or something i actually saw a really great video of someone trying to do like play a cello with a marching band and he just like kept picking up the chair and like setting it down and playing cello for three seconds and then picking up the chair again and like running to catch up with the band um so i could have tried that um but no so i was not in band but i sort of love watching the marching bands in the macy's parade every year um and so I like I kind of had this idea and I wanted to write about it. So I basically had what I felt like I, I ended up calling like a marching band authenticity read, which was <laughs> my friends who were in band. Um, I asked them to like read the book and, you know, I sort of did the research that I could. Um, I found out that the marching band actually like 20 minutes away from where I grew up in Wisconsin um, got invited to go to Macy's in 2016. I think it was 2016. Um, so I called up the band director and I was like, can you tell me about this experience? And he very nicely, like had a whole conversation with me about like what that was like, um, so that I could get a lot of the stuff in the book factually accurate, like the super fun details that yes, they make all the marching bands get out of bed and do a run through with the cameras at about three in the morning before the parade. Um, <laughs> so that must be super fun to be in Manhattan and just be listening to like marching bands blaring at three in the morning. Um, but yeah, so then I and then I just like, you know, had some friends read it to make sure that the little details were right about like what snare drum harnesses are or are not like. Um, and yeah, it's just like it was a fun it was another fun way to write about music um, in a way that was slightly different than what I had experience with. But, you know, in I think the the experience of playing music um, and what you get out of that uh, is kind of easily transferable from from book to book in terms of how I how I approach writing it. I love it. Um, I love it so much. I'm totally nerding out because my work is actually heavily involved with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, really? That's amazing. <laughs> we make all the drum heads. Oh, I love it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've totally seen those. I'm going to get you some goodies. <laughs> Oh, that would be, that would be Your fabulous. Office. That would be fabulous. It was also like, it was, it was a little bit tricky to write this book. Um, so I used to live in New York, but I hadn't been back since the pandemic started. And I was writing this book in like 
2021, 2022. And I still like, wasn't really able to go back to New York. So there were some like, I was like having to like zoom around on street view and Google maps being like, this is embarrassing. I used to live here. I can't, but the really embarrassing thing was that there's a scene in the book, in the book that takes place at the strand bookstore. Mm. And I come, I have been to the strand bookstore multiple times and I completely forgot where the strand bookstore was. And so I got this note back from my editor that was like, did you mean the Barnes and Noble in Union Square? Because that's kind of where you have the Strand located geographically. And so the Strand is actually like away from Union Square off down a separate street. And then to make my embarrassment worse, she had apparently like gone around her entire office and asked every other editor if they also thought that I was talking about the Barnes and Noble in Union Square because this was not where the Strand was located. So I was like, no, it's just me. Apparently, like, I didn't check where the strand was because I used to live in New York and I thought I knew what I was doing. (laughs) So I had to, like, rewrite this whole scene in the book to, like, get them to the strand in the correct location. (laughs) 2020 wiped all of our brains. It's not your fault. It really did, apparently. Yeah. 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 That's actually, like, one of my favorite things to do is do the Google Street View. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It just, like, feels like you're, like sort of a stalker but also sort of like traveling like a little bit like it's a it's a really fun little diversion when I should be writing and I want to go down a rabbit hole instead it was a it was a like totally useful way to just remind myself of stuff and get in some of those little details that I otherwise totally would have forgotten about yeah I love it you know what's the worst is when you make up your own towns and then you forget where shit is in the own town you made up. <laughs> <laughs> See, I so that's what I did for all of the almost. And in some ways, I still prefer that because I realized like partway through writing this second book that literally takes them all over New York City. I was like, oh, my God, I hate describing real places like I it, it's a building. What do you want me to say about it? But it turns out like, no, I need to make the city come alive and all that, which is like, it's just, it's just not fun. I don't like it. I just want to write about like characters having their, you know, character emotions and not describe a building. Yeah. Same. Same. What do you mean? Yes, Courtney, you are so good at that. Your towns are always like perfectly described. And I'm like, but they're not real. (laughs) They're not real. (laughs) Um, tell us about the inspiration for the romance here and just like any little tidbits of inspiration you'd like to share about this project yeah um so for this book I really wanted to write a romance um that was sort of in some ways straight cis het appearing from the outside um I mean, Leo is, like, the characters are 16. Leo is pre-transition. He's still totally getting misgendered sometimes. Um, But the funny thing is, I feel like I have seen a number of trans books that have focused on, um, like, say, trans boy and cis boy relationships and stuff like that, which that's what my first book was. And I love seeing that. I mean, like, I love seeing every kind of relationship with trans people in it. Um, But I kind of wanted to write one that appeared more straight from the outside, um, because I felt like I hadn't seen that quite as much. Um, 
And I really wanted to, at the same time, have both characters kind of come out of this with no labels at all. So um, at the beginning of the book, Abby, so it's a dual POV, and Abby, the girl, is kind of like, thinks she's in love with her best friend, the cat. Um, and so she's like going through this, she's like from a small town in Missouri, she's going through all this like identity crisis of, oh my god, am I a lesbian? Um, I'm looking at what that means on Tumblr, and apparently I should be wearing more plaid flannel shirts, you know, just like these things. like <laughs> Gay just, panic. Yeah, gay panic, absolute gay panic. <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of wrestling with with what that does or doesn't mean for her identity. And really what she's looking for is like, a way to make sense of who she is and sort of imposing all of these things from the outside onto herself. Like, well, if I'm gay, then it must mean I'm also this. Mm. Um, and she's just like a total believer in the universe. She wants to have sort of her, her big romance movie moment in New York city. She's going to try and confess her feelings to Kat. Um, and then Leo on the other hand is like, worried that his extended family is about to find out he's trans because of being on national television um and he's just like a total total pessimist he doesn't want to be here he doesn't he doesn't believe in any of this universe stuff the universe just sucks as far as he's concerned um so i kind of wanted to set them up as sort of these two opposites and then what do they each get from the other one in sort of being able to create a bubble that really is the two of them throughout the day where none of the stuff that they are otherwise worrying about really has to exist. So a lot of what I was wanting to do with Leo in this book, like there's, you know, he's not getting bullied at school. There's not some big transphobic wave in the town um, that he's from, but it's about kind of how a lot of the little things add up to become bigger things so the you know he's on this trip and the school uh you know is insisting that he room with girls um you know there's just these little these little things of like the chaperone comes up and says hey girls to them at one point like these little things and how they like break somebody down um so that was part of like creating this bubble for the two of them was that when they're in the bubble they see each other as completely just these complex nuanced people and who they are and that's kind of outside of labels so at the end you know as abby is instead sort of falling in love with leo she's not really putting a label on her sexuality and she's kind of realizing like maybe she'll choose one later and that will feel good but she doesn't need one to fall in love she doesn't need one to understand who she is on some deeper level um, so I kind of wanted, and then with, Le like with Leo, I wanted to give him space to be angry and afraid, um, you know, very aware of like the sort of anti-trans legislation going on in sort of a, like a larger way, but also still fall in love anyway. So in a way it was sort of like an odd challenge to feel like I'm trying to like write a romance in which these characters are sort of angry or afraid or freaking out about these like really real um larger bad issues that are going on but at the same time i want this to be like a safe bubbly magically romantic space for both of them to be in and to fall in love anyway so that's kind of like what i was thinking about i guess when um when approaching the romance hmm. that's beautiful i'm just letting that like soak in <laughs> 
I remember from moderating your panel at Summer Book Fest that I could literally listen to you talk for hours. <laughs> like you have such a comforting presence and like there's no way somebody could hear you speak and not want to live inside your stories. Like just Aw, thank you. It's very evident that like what you do is filled with so much heart and passion and care. And I really love that you're writing for young adults, especially what you're saying about kind of the story taking away the pressure of picking labels, because I feel like especially as you're growing and discovering more about yourself, and not that that has a time limit, but especially as a young person, it's like there can be a lot of pressure to pick labels. And that's not really even necessary, you know? It, yeah. If it's helpful for people to have a label, by all means, but, like, you don't have to. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that the label can grow and change as you yeah. do also. That, like, you know, how I, you know, what kind of labels I used for myself have changed over time. And that's, like, it doesn't mean that I am a different person and it also does mean that I am a different person and these mm -hmm. two things can kind of exist simultaneously and I think that's kind of like what I love about writing and telling stories is just like how incredibly nuanced and messy and wonderful people are in all those yes. ways and the ways that they change and don't change in the ways that they make sense and don't make sense and changing labels doesn't make you a fraud I always kind of worry about that like oh if I change a label, does that mean that I was, you know, putting on some show before, you know, like there's that kind of that yeah, feeling, totally. I think. And, and that's I think very false. Mix, yeah. And when you mix gender in with it, it gets even more complicated. I mean, you know, yeah. I identify as queer now, but I think there was a period where I was going through so much gender stuff that I sort of couldn't I couldn't extricate who I wanted to be from who I was attracted to. Mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the things that I was seeing in other people, it was, it was just so tied into like what I wanted to be or didn't want to be. And it just made things really complicated. Um, and I feel like there's so much pressure on queer youth now to pick labels mm -hmm. because then it means that they know. It means that it's not a phase. It means that they're mm -hmm. sure. And it's like society in some ways even I think well-meaning parents want them to be sure um, because that's how you get around is like, well, if it's a phase, then we can't let them have X, Y, and Z identities or care or whatever. Um, I think it's much more nuanced than that. You know, it is a phase and it isn't a phase and, you know, it probably isn't a phase, but like how exactly how they're going to pick and choose and how they're going to experiment and how fluid they might be in these different things. It's like, it's all wonderful and we need to let them do it. <laughs> mm. I agree. And as you were speaking too, I was thinking, I mean, the labels that exist, exist, but it's not like each individual person person went in there and created a label. They right. already exist. So like, if an existing label doesn't fit, that's just because it doesn't fit and that's okay. Yep. It doesn't. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we we only have a list of so many like pre-existing labels, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the things that's been really wonderful about meeting young readers in the last year is realizing like just how much the young people have this figured out. 
in a way that's like really wonderful. Like I've met readers where they've told me like, oh yeah, I came out as non-binary and my friends were like, that's cool. And then I came out as, you know, a trans boy or whatever. And I changed my name and pronouns again. And my friends were like, that's cool. It's just, you know, like these, these things where it's just, it's just so not a thing for young people. And that's like kind of wonderful. And in a way that's a little bit what I wanted to show with this book is like all of, all of Abby and Leo's friends at, you know, kind of, they do really get them on a deep level in a way that's like very, very important to me to, to show those friends to be like these. Yes. I mean, in a way, like I'm writing my own fantasy, right? Like those are the friends I wished I could have had as a teenager. Um, but mm-hmm. I know that some queer youth have them and that's fantastic. And I love writing them. They're all pure chaos vibes. It's great. <laughs> I mean, I also think too, like part of the reason that the kids these days can be so open and, and accepting is because they get to see all different kinds of relationships and all different kinds of people in the media and you know, for me, I know that's not something that I had when I was growing up and I wish yeah. that I would have. Um, and I think it just is a testament to the need for even more representation because it really does make a difference. Yeah. And that's part of what I was trying to think about with this book is writing these two kids from small towns um, in less friendly states who end up in New York. And part of what they get out of this day, not, you know, sort of aside from their relationship with each other is just realizing what they can be when they're in this giant city that kind of lets this sort of stuff exist, like it's no big deal. Um, And so it was like, especially, you know, when I'm when I'm sort of focusing on this whirlwind 24 hour romance, I wanted to make sure that both my characters were going to be okay, by themselves. Also, um, so that part of what they're getting out of the day is learning like, oh, there is space for me to exist. And whether it's ultimately in my small town in the long run or not, um, like I can take up space and I can, I can see like the, there are other people out there like me and that's giving me a new way to understand myself, which I think is really, really important. I love that too about um, queer adult romance because it's like, the younger kids can look up and know like, okay, there are stories for me as I get older and there are happy stories and those exist. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I came out, like the, literally one of the first things I did was Google for other trans adults, because like what I wanted yeah. to know was that I could exist not just right now, but I could exist at like age 30, age 40, <sighs> age 50, and like have a regular job and, you know, sort of like live all these other parts of my life that didn't just have to do with my identity. So like, I feel like that's like, it's important to me to like, that's why I have it in my bio that I am a queer trans man, because it also feels important to me for a kid reading my book to be able to flip to the back and go like, oh no, here is this person existing. Um, Mm. And like, there is a way for me to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. I hate to direct this conversation into something not <laughs> as beautiful. There's no good segue, but oh, listen, here we go. we're here to be silly too, so please. That's true. Um, so we did want to chat today about a writing topic, actually, that is very close to my heart because I have been in the same situation. We've talked on this podcast before about particular craft books that people really connect to and enjoy. 
Um, and I think we're in the same boat, Edward, in that I have never found a craft book that really works for me. Um, and I really struggle with that sometimes because I want there to be one that works for me and I just haven't found it yet. So I would love to hear your experiences with this and your, your take on it. Ah, yeah. And I am coming at this also as like, I don't have formal training as a writer. I didn't do an MFA. I took one creative writing class in college. It was a disaster. So (laughs) like, I sort of wish that craft books worked for me partly because I want them to help with my imposter syndrome. <laughs> I want to be like, I read this craft book. I totally got something out of it. I learned so much and now I'm like legit. And like, obviously that like, whatever that's, I just got to wrestle with imposter syndrome on my own. But, um, but I think what I have learned is that there are like bits and pieces that I can take out of various craft books, but at some point they Mm. all fall apart for me. And I think it's like, I don't know if it's partly that I'm just like obstinate and I want And at a certain point, I'm just like, what do you mean you're telling me how to do the thing? No, Mm. I'll figure out how to do the thing. And then I'll do it myself. Like Mm -hmm. that might just be like a little bit of a personality thing that eventually (laughs) I'm just like, I'm done with people telling me what to do. Um, And then I think part of it is just like brains are weird. And at a certain point, like my brain, just like whatever the sort of prescriptive thing is, falls apart. And I'm just like the way that my brain learns things is to just like get in there and fly by the seat of my pants and figure it out. Um, So like there there are things um, that I've gotten out of various craft books I still think it's like really useful to know sort of what common tropes and plot beats are but then once I ever once I get to like and here's how to use them and I'm like trying to it's like I'm trying to fit my round brain in a square hole or something just like I just have to like let that sit in there and eventually it'll come back out as something I can use um like that sort of stuff um oh my God, I'm completely blanking on the name of the book now. But there's a book that approaches everything through like character and like figuring out what your character's main trauma is. Story Um, Genius? Story Genius. By Lisa Cron, yeah. Yeah. And that was like helpful up until like halfway through. And then I was just like, no, now it's too prescriptive. This is broken down for me. I can't do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but it was useful in making me be like, okay, no, I I really do need to go deeper and like figure out um, what is motivating my character. And I think what it was useful for was like seeing how she was using it to create a story. And then when I tried to do that, I was like, this isn't working. I like, I can't. Mm-hmm. again round brain square hole or something and it's like not it's not quite working that way but I could like let it sit and still eventually get something useful out of it which is that like I see how knowing these things about your character is going to help you create the story around them mm-hmm. and so I feel like my actual process has become this like weird Frankenstein thing of like various different pieces of pieces of craft books plus just like my own stubborn like figuring things out flying by the seat of my pants and kind of finding my own method I guess um but I also think or at least I hope that that's going to lead to something that doesn't look too formulaic um 
because like I think if you follow all of this stuff too closely you aren't leaving enough room for just like your brain doing weird stuff (laughs) (laughs) and like the weird stuff is important too you know there is like certain story beats where I can look at it and go oh yeah I ended up kind of fitting this book into these story beats more or less but if I'd been trying to think about it like from the top down that way I don't know that I would have come up with some of the weird shit that happens in the book like if I'd been thinking about this day changes everything sort of in terms of more traditional romance structures, I don't know that the like completely random queer book club that comes up in the strand would have come up. And I've now heard from early readers anyway, that like a lot of people really liked that, even though I was sitting there at the moment going, this is so weird. No one's going to like think this is funny. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. I guess that's sort of my thought on Craftsbook is like, I keep, I keep like getting them from the library and being like, this one, this one is going to fix me. <laughs> they never do. I like get partway through and I'm like, well, I guess it's time for me to return it. Cause I haven't picked this thing up in five days. Yeah. I think maybe for me, what it comes down to with craft books is I feel like I at least yet haven't found a craft book that doesn't want you to be a plotter. Totally. And yeah. I'm not a plotter at all. Yeah. And and also, too, I definitely identify with that. Don't tell me what to do because I'm going to do the opposite <laughs> mm-hmm. mentality for sure. Um, I feel I feel seen in that yeah. moment. But um, yeah, it feels like they always want you to come away with like a full outline and I'm like yeah. I don't want a full outline like I don't need that and I've discovered that that doesn't work for me so I don't want it um I need to go back and reread like the first half of story genius because I do think the character work is really important and that's kind of like that's I feel like is the heart of my writing process is figuring out my characters mm-hmm. um but I don't want to figure out beats I don't want to know what the inciting incident is I don't I don't want to know I don't even know if there is one in my books and I don't really care. (laughs) I don't want any part of that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think like I, I used to so not be a plotter um, and being on deadline has sort of transformed me into one by necessity a little bit, but I still feel like I'm constantly falling into this stuff backwards. Like I, I always have to start, knowing from like knowing the characters something about the characters um and then I do sort of end up like figuring out an inciting incident and then I'll frequently end up figuring out like some really cool last scene um and then it's a lot of like figuring out how to get it from point a to point b um and that's hard and it often ends up as a weird thing of like um, writing down random things that I want to have happen and then trying to pull out like what's a character thing what's a plot thing um, and sort of turning that into something that's kind of like an outline um, but now that I've sold a couple books on proposal like I have had to just like straight up write a synopsis of some sort before I've actually written the book and that was a weird brain exercise that was definitely like I had to learn I felt very conscious of having to learn to do that of having to learn to like how do I do this in a way where my brain is still going to have fun with it later? And it's not just going to feel like completely boring and prescriptive when I sit down to actually write the story that like, I, mm-hmm. I need to, I need to somehow find ways to also still 
make sure that I'm going to get something exciting out of this. Yeah. 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 That's the balance. And I think, um, I think something we've learned honestly, just from doing this podcast is that everybody's process is going to look different. And I think too, also along with that is that your process is going to change and evolve as you get further along in your writing career, because that's just normal. Like you're going to get better as a writer, you're going to improve. That's just natural as you keep writing books. Um, and so your process doesn't have to always look the same or doesn't always have to be this one thing. Like it can change and grow as you do. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the other thing that I think sometimes bugs me about craft books is that I always feel like even though I've now done this several times and I've, I've, I've definitely done this many, many times before getting published, like I still start a new book and have this complete panic period of, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to write this book at all. This, this is going to be the book that breaks me. Um, and I think that what we all, or at least what I always want to find in a craft book is like, the secret key to the puzzle that's going to let me avoid that stage yeah. and be able to just be like, ah, I know the, the secret path to follow. If I follow this map, I will be able to magically end up with a story at the end. And that's sometimes what craft books promise you, to be honest, is like you do this method and you will have magic story. Um, and I kind of feel like for me anyway, there isn't really any way out of that like panic flailing around moment because that's just like me finding my way into a story and if I if I knew what it was right from the get-go it probably wouldn't actually end up being a new story it would be something that's sort of the same thing I just wrote mm. so like I yeah I feel like I'm just always going to be stuck with that like I can do this 50 times and the 51st book I'll just be like yeah it's like I've never done this before I have no idea what's going on <laughs> Just try to embrace it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I've always said like, oh, I'm such a heavy plotter. But I needed to be that for the first books that I wrote because it gave me a big sense of comfort. And it taught me like the like innately the structure that I felt comfortable following. Yeah. So it was like a sense of security. It was like my little security blanket. But I think one way I have seen that I have improved as an author is that that sense of like that inner sense of knowing where the story is going and feeling your way yeah. through it. And you can feel when something's off or when it yeah. your character's motivation isn't there or the conflict doesn't fit your character or things yeah. like that that like just come with time. And yeah, I and think, with reading a lot. Like yeah. that was the other thing that mm. that I almost feel like has been more helpful for me to, than craft books. It's yeah. just like I gotta mm. read and see this stuff applied. I gotta read and like take notes and see like where do I think this story is going? Where does it actually go? Like, yeah, I remember before writing Always the Almost, I was just like, I want to write a rom com. Never written a rom com before. <laughs> so I sat down with to all the boys I loved before the the book, not the Netflix version, and like was like what is happening in each of these chapters? Where are these different story points 
happening. And to me, like that ended up teaching my brain so much more because I was just like, I need to see actual characters going through all of this. I need to see actual emotion happening over 300 pages. Um, and that ended up helping me. I think like you're saying, Courtney, like a lot, just understand sort of how to feel my way through a story mm-hmm. um, so that I didn't always need to know everything ahead of time. And yeah. I would kind of find my way there anyway. Yeah, and you're going to be okay. And also, like, when you reach a little roadblock, I love reminding myself that the limit does not exist. <laughs> Quote, mean girls. But, like, it doesn't <laughs> It doesn't exist as far as creatively where you can go. There is yeah. literally no limit. And if you just remind yourself that, it kind of opens up things a little bit. Totally. For me, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of experience, too, is like understanding what the conventions are for any given form or genre, and then understanding how to play with them. And Mm -hmm. then I just like remembering like, you know, every super weird book that I've loved and just been like, yeah, I mean, I love that book because it was super weird. So if I want to do the super weird thing, maybe I should just try it. I can always undo it later. Yeah. 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 I love that. Movies, too. Movies help me a lot. Yeah, for sure. And TV shows. Yay! And TV like shows. these ones that we'll talk about right now. Yay. <laughs> um, all right. So you are a fan of The Last of Us. Yes. I watched like the first 15 minutes of the first episode and I was like, <laughs> nope. Like, I can't. Like, my anxiety cannot handle this show. <laughs> As yeah. much as I want to be able to watch Pedro Pascal in literally everything and anything, I was like, I feel like I'm going to have a full-blown panic attack if I keep watching this. We yeah. talked um, about that in an intro, I remember. <laughs> yes. Does it get better? I think it does. Okay, so okay. I will say, like, I do think it's really funny that I love this show as much as I do. Cause, like, sitting here being like, yes, I have written lovely YA rom-coms I'm gonna watch this super dark zombie show (laughs) um but I think like okay so I will say the first episode is just basically like completely anxiety producing in a weird way because you know exactly what's gonna happen Mm -hmm. and so you're just like watching this car crash that you know is coming in slow motion kind of um so and there is like a scene in that episode where I could just like, I could see it coming a mile away. And I was just like, Nope, I'm not going to watch this. And I didn't, I still haven't seen that scene, but like, I knew it was going to happen. I knew exactly what impact it was going to have. Um, and I skipped it and I still feel great about that decision. Um, <laughs> but like, I was, I think I like, I needed something to watch that felt like, like sometimes when I'm if I'm writing a thing, I like need all of my other media intake to be completely different from what I'm writing. And so I was just like, this yeah. show seems wildly different. <laughs> and I've heard people like it. Let me try it. Um, and like, I wasn't expecting. I wasn't sure because of like the sort of pandemic aspect. I was like, this seems like it's gonna make me feel terrible. I think it was like weirdly cathartic to like see it play out in a way that felt like totally realistic but also as a pandemic that is sort of so it's in some ways so unbelievable that you know it it didn't feel like it was just too close to home Mm -hmm. um and then plus I got to the third episode and it was super gay and I was like I am so here okay (laughs) let's do this 
Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they obviously they've like figured out a thing for Pedro, right? Which is like Pedro protects us small, and that is like <laughs> yes, people will watch that a hundred percent. Like, I mean, I will. So, Daddy Pedro, it's really true. It's really true. Oh. Um, but I think like what ultimately got me with that series is a lot of the same reasons that I love writing, which is just like, what do humans do when stuff sucks? And like, it can be sucking like, you know, oh, I've lost my marching band and, you know, I need to try to find them and I'm having angsty feelings about things because I'm a teenager. Like, you know, it's like, that's one version of things sucking, but it's like in whatever universe you're writing in. Um, And in this one, it's just like, I just, I ended up really moved by all of these people making incredibly imperfect decisions while trying to figure out how to be a human and how to like have relationships and connections and like, what does life mean when the world's ending Mm. kind of stuff. And nobody's perfect. There's a lot of like really morally great decisions being made. Um, but also at the heart of it, you have these two characters who just like need each other and they start like, you know, loving each other and it's wonderful and beautiful and just give Pedro Pascal a small on every show. Really? I love it so much. That's the key. You've mm. unlocked the key it, to success. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Yeah, there it is. I love it. Um, maybe I'm just going to like skip the first episode and just like start with the second one. I mean... I will say, like, the other thing I've made huge use of is, like, I'm somebody who watches TV and does not care if something gets spoilered for me ahead of time. Because, like, I still get some, I really do still get something out of watching it with, like, very few exceptions. Um, So just, like, read a recap on the AV Club or something. Like, read what happens in the episode. And then, like, you know, (laughs) it's fine. Just go on with the next one then. Yeah. I think what really got me about the first episode in those first 15 minutes that I managed to watch is that when they were trying to leave and they just like could not go anywhere because like, I feel like especially living in Southern California, like that's a legit visceral to me Yeah, because if we're all driving to the same place at the same time, we're screwed and you can't go anywhere. And so that was like, I was like, Oh my God, this is like too close to home. (laughs) Yeah. And right. And like, there's, that episode is like the whole episode is watching this stuff take shape. Um, and the whole rest of the show is like, you know, 10 or 20 years later or something. And so it's like, oh, okay. it's, you know, after the whole thing has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, there is something really uniquely weird about that first episode um, where it's like when I've, I've like, I've now watched the show several times and I've just started an episode two each time. So I'm like, I don't need to see things fall apart again. I'm like interested in what happens after, you know? Okay. That's good to yeah. know. I can do that. I might yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. Anything for Pedro. <laughs> um, I mean, Pedro is just having such a bad day in that first episode too. It's just like, it's like the worst. It's like his birthday and the world is ending. It's just like, shit sucks so bad. Oh my God. I mean, like, He's not having a great day later either, but it's it's like that first day might take the cake as like worst day ever for Pedro. Oh my gosh. I love poor guy. 
All right, we're running a little short on time, but we do have to touch on plants and gardening because I've been looking at your plants that are behind you and also Courtney, the one that is behind you and um, your magical green thumb touches. So, I mean, first of all, what drew you to plants and gardening particularly? So I feel like the answer is going to like be super depressing for a second, which is that my first cat died and I was just like, I feel sad. Mm. So I bought a plant and then like tried to not kill the plant. And there was something that was like weirdly healing about watching this thing grow very, very slowly and Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, that was just like going to keep changing. And then during the pandemic, um, so right before the pandemic, I moved somewhere where I actually like have a little garden. Um, And during the pandemic, I happened to like right before the pandemic, I checked out this giant plant encyclopedia and then the library shut down and they were like, uh, I guess you can have this book for six months. So I read the whole thing cover to cover because I was just like, I need no stakes reading. The answer is plant encyclopedia. Um, and then I like got really into gardening. And it was, again, I think it's just like, it's really fun to watch stuff grow. It's kind of wild to me to like plant seeds of things and watch them turn into plants. Um, and it is also just like, okay, so I did this thing this year and next year maybe I'll do other plants or I'll try other vegetables. Um, And it's like given me a sense of time passing, but in a very like not stressful way. Hmm. It's just like plants doing their thing. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love it. I have not yet cracked the code on how to not kill them Oh, all. listen, I mean, I killed a lot of plants <laughs> in my past. So it really was just like, I also got really obsessed with this British gardening show called Gardener's World on the BBC. And it's just this like, it's this guy named Monty Don. And he's like, has the most comforting British accent. And he like, has this amazing garden and can clearly do anything, but also just like, keep saying like, try a thing if it doesn't work and the plant dies you try again Mm -hmm. and I was sort of like oh yeah it doesn't mean that I'm like bad at plants I just haven't figured out that plant yet Mm -hmm. so there was something kind of wonderful about letting myself off the hook that way (laughs) I feel like you can apply that to writing somehow right yeah for sure yeah it's a lot of trial and error and like what plants work in your space and like in this corner with that lighting or with that soil, you know, and you just like learn a little bit each time, each plant you plant will teach you something different. I love that too. Here, I'm going to say, I'm going to totally connect this back to the crafts book thing right now and say (laughs) that a lot of plant advice is bullshit too. Like I, I learned the most Mm -hmm. from just starting to understand how plants communicate what they need. And then like watching for that in my plants Mm -hmm. and the number of things that I read that were like, Oh yeah, you can like succulents indestructible. (laughs) Succulents are super destructible. And I killed so many of them because I didn't understand that. Like they actually all have slightly different needs and sure. Maybe they can take full on sun in like Maine, but you put some of them in full-on sun in Southern California, and they're like, oh, they just died in five days. Um, but I feel like that, too, connects back to the writing, too, where sometimes you just have to try it and see how it goes. Absolutely. And learn yeah. and do something different next time if you need to. Yeah, 100%. And at least at the end of realizing you need to do something different, you don't have a dead plant. So <laughs> There you go. 
You might have a really bad book, but (laughs) (laughs) that can get fixed. All right. Well, before we let you go, um, are you able to share with us what you have coming up next? What are you working on? What's coming down the pipeline? Sure. Um, So my third young adult book is going to be coming out in summer 2025 with HarperCollins. It is tentatively titled In Case You Read This and is about two trans boys who are moving across the country in opposite directions with their families and they kind of run into each other um, in a motel in Nebraska randomly one evening and they sort of have several hours of hanging out and it's great but they don't share any contact info Um, And so then the next day, they both totally regret it, but they can't find each other again. So the rest of the book is sort of like them finding queer community in the places they live and also finding their way back to each other again. Um, Yeah, so that has been announced. I also have a book for grownups that I was really hoping I would be able to announce and probably hopefully by the time the episode airs, I will have actually announced it. (laughs) But I can't quite announce it yet. But that is that is hopefully going to I'll be able to talk about that soon, too. Amazing. Well, in that case, let our listeners know where they can find you online so they can go see the announcements. Sure. So I am mostly on Instagram these days at Edward Underhill. Um, I'm also on threads at that same name. And then I'm on TikTok at Edward Underhill author, which I post at when I remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. We feel that. (laughs) Um, Well, Edward, thank you so much for being here. This has been a delightful and enlightening and all around good conversation. And I might actually go give The Last of Us another shot. (laughs) I wish you all the best and so much appreciation of Pedro and the Small. Um, Thank you guys both so much for having me. This has been super fun. Thank you for being here. Yes. All right. And thank you all for listening and we'll chat with you more next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K K A E on all social media platforms. And you can find me Fallon Ballard at Fallon Ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time.